want to welcome you to uh, Plum Creek Chapel this morning, and uh, we're going to continue looking here at uh, what lies ahead. So we've been doing this now. This will be our 35th uh, lesson, and uh, as we've said before, we're kind of roughly tracking with my book, which is out the back there. You can feel free to pick one up if you don't already have it, and those of you watching online can also order that at notbyworks.org. Uh, want to remind you about our midweek study. Uh, really enjoying that, have a great crowd and great uh, interaction and discussion as we talk about how to read and understand the Bible. That's Wednesday nights at 6. We just go for an hour. And um, if you're not able to come uh, in person, that's live streamed as well at 6 o'clock Mountain Time. And of course, all of the sessions, are the videos and audio are posted um, at to both the Plum Creek Chapel website as well as notbyworks.org website. So hope you'll join us for that on uh, Wednesdays. But uh, this morning we're kind of camped out still talking about the tribulation and we've been kind of walking through several events that uh, happen right after the rapture according to scripture and then in the early days of the tribulation and then we got into some of the uh, divine judgments of God's wrath that are poured out on the earth in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and we looked at the seal judgments and we find ourselves now in the midst of the trumpet judgments. And I got some great feedback last week. A lot of people that watched it uh, online uh, after the fact uh, emailed about our discussion uh, there of uh, Wormwood and Apophis and some of the speculation, which is all it was, that we did there. Um, but I wanted to uh, begin this week, as we in a moment we'll pick up where we left off, uh, but by quoting a good friend of mine who often comes here, and that's uh, Randy. Some of you may know Randy, but he sent me an email, and I thought it was so well said. I asked him if I could quote him, and he said, yes, but please make sure the Holy Spirit and not I get the credit. So that sounds like Randy. Uh, but also, I told him I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit because I needed to take out some of the heresy that I disagreed with <laughs> in his quote. Uh, so, But here's here's what he said. I thought it was a perfect way to introduce our session this morning. He said, quote, as I sit back this morning and review the world as a whole, some things occurred to me. He said, first, we get to live in the most exciting time in history. Amen? I totally agree. We're being allowed to watch the Bible unfold and to see the stage being set for the fulfillment of prophecy right before our eyes. He said, God is not only harvesting every soul he can, and I would insert there 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. God is not only harvesting every soul he can, but he is giving us a view of what things will be like in the tribulation. He said, if you sit back and observe, you will see some real similarities to what is going to occur then. The big difference is in the degree of what is taking place between now and then. <clears throat> and I agree, and what, what he means by that is, that while there are some similarities today in this present church age, uh, clearly when the Lord rescues the church from this present evil age prior to the outpouring of His wrath, uh, when the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit is removed, uh, things are going to be quite a bit different. But nevertheless, he, he points out some similarities. And that's all this is, is just observations that I felt were pretty astute. So back to the quote, he said, we look at the vaccine mandates and how people whose conscience is telling them not to take it, yet they're being forced to take it, much as people during the tribulation will be faced with taking the mark of the beast. Remember, that's not us 
according to the, the Bible, we're, not, we're told we will not be here when the wrath of God is poured out. Uh, that doesn't mean, by the way, that we won't face very difficult persecution, as many brothers and sisters in Christ have for the last 2,000 years, and indeed are today. People are, there are more martyrs for the Christian faith today than at any other time in human history. So by no means does the Bible teach that the rapture will rescue us before things get bad. It just means that according to God's divine plan of the ages, we will not be here when that 70th week of Daniel uh, begins. Um, so those, but there will be people on earth at that time, as we've talked about, uh, who will be forced uh, to take the mark of the beast. He goes on to say another comparison. We are having our civil rights assaulted, whereas during the tribulation there will be no civil rights. He says, we see supply shortages and inconveniences arising. And by the way, those are going to get much, much worse by all accounts uh, in, the, in the near-term future. Um, whereas during the tribulation there will be famines and pestilence killing millions. We see our government trying to shove their desires down our throat, whereas during the tribulation you will do as they say or die. That's true. You will. Or those that are, will be here then will. Uh, we are allowed to worship uh, under certain restrictions that the government has put on us, whereas during the tribulation you'll also have restrictions uh, and will be required to worship the beast or else. We see the powers that be preparing for and threatening war every day. Uh, you know, the drum beats of war are everywhere, particularly up in the South China Sea and then centered on Taiwan. You see Iran uh, kind of uh, doing some suspicious things. You see China and Russia colluding. Uh, you see China, you know, firing off missiles and those kinds of things. By the way, uh, this is an, I'm inserting this here because uh, it just came to my mind, but talking to one of my contacts this week that I've interacted with many, many times over the last 15 years, and they uh, suggested, and it's just, again, just a suggestion, because nobody can say for sure what the Luciferian elite's ultimate plan is, and certainly we also know God's sovereignty plays a role. Uh, ultimately, that's, he's in charge of the timetable, uh, but uh, some people are speculating that all of the uh, uh, hundreds upon hundreds of ships that are stalled out off the west coast uh, because of issues uh, at the docks there. And uh, there are several reasons for that, by the way. It's not just the, the vaccine mandates. It's also uh, just general uh, trucking shortages and, uh, you know, dock workers. And there are a lot of factors there that are, I believe, uh, not organic. Uh, but in any event, they, they were speculating, what if uh, China is pulling a Trojan horse and that all eyes are on Taiwan and all of our ships and subs are hightailing it up to the South China Sea when really some of these Chinese containers offshore are loaded with the uh, surface-to-air missiles and other things. We know that those, it's on record that they carry those on Konex uh, containers. Um, just some food for thought. Who knows? It, it's... Uh, just a really crazy time in which we live. You just never know. He goes on back to the quote, During the tribulation there will be wars, human and demonic, which will result in the near distinction of mankind. And then he concludes, God is giving us a small taste of what is to come as a warning. Take advantage of his offer of eternal life now before it's too late. The next round won't be easy. Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus. So with that sort of introduction, let's go back and take a look at where we are on uh, God's timeline. You see highlighted in yellow there the uh, 70th week of Daniel. Remember a week is the Hebrew word Shabuah. It means seven-year period. 
and it uh, refers to that final seven years of the 490-year prophecy that God gave to Israel. Not the church, but to Israel. And uh, once the church is rescued, uh, then uh, God's spotlight shifts once again to Israel, and the final seven years of that 490-year plan will be uh, fulfilled. We know from Daniel 9, 24 to 27, that the first 483 years have been fulfilled. We know, in fact, to the date, to the actual day, if you do the math. Uh, and then, uh, but the final seven have not been fulfilled. They haven't even started yet because they begin, according to Daniel 9, 27, with the signing of the peace treaty. And then uh, it, things begin to happen just as Jesus outlined in the Olivet Discourse and just as the book of Revelation outlines in chapters 6 to 18. So we're talking here about that future period of time that Jesus had much to say about. This is our overview of the book of Revelation. And uh, you can see we're there in the second half looking at the trumpets. And I've pointed out this is not drawn to scale because remember the trumpets take us right up to probably the final 72 hours of the seven years and then the bold judgments in rapid succession, which we will get to in the coming weeks, uh, happen right in the final few hours of uh, the 70th week of Daniel and leading up to the Battle of Armageddon and the coming of Christ to establish his long-awaited kingdom. Uh, we looked at some of those uh, interludes there that you see in black text that are sort of supplemental information in the flow of thought that God reveals through John uh, about information during that uh, seven-year period. Uh, but uh, we're dealing with uh, the trumpet. So we looked at the seals just to review and we said the seals start roughly right at the beginning there with the unveiling of the Antichrist. We read about these and mostly in chapter 6, and then you get to the seventh seal in chapter 8. These were the sealed judgments that we looked at, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, each of those uh, seals being opened by the Lamb who is worthy because he was slain before the foundation of the world. And then uh, you get uh, things like uh, the earthquakes and other cosmic disturbances. And I showed a chart back when we looked over this that... Uh, demonstrates how these descriptions from Revelation 6 correlate perfectly with Jesus' description in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse. Jesus quotes Daniel by name. They're talking about the same exact seven-year period that will come yet in the future. And then we started with the trumpet judgments. And so, again, if we go back to our chart, now we're in the second half just after the abomination of desolation when uh, Satan, who's indwelling the Antichrist, causes the Antichrist to break his treaty and uh, begins to persecute Jews. And that's the point at which Jesus says, when you see that, talking to the future Jews that will be alive during that time, he says, when you see this, Matthew 24, 15, head to the hills, don't wait, don't go back to get anything, pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath or in winter or that you're not pregnant when it happens because it's about to get really, really bad. And indeed, it will get worse and worse and worse, climaxing, climaxing in the Battle of Armageddon. So we left off with the fifth uh, trumpet judgment. We talked about uh, one-third of the earth being burned up, one-third of the sea turning to blood, one-third of the fresh water uh, poisoned. We looked at each of those uh, passages. And then uh, one-third of the sun, moon, and stars darkened. And then we talked about... Uh, uh, the, and by the way, the third one there was where we talked about uh, that asteroid, uh, the Greek word aster, that is called wormwood, that comes to the earth. And we kind of correlated that to one huge asteroid that NASA is tracking. Um, by the way, somebody emailed me uh, 
not from here, but from not, the not by works world, uh, and uh, was critical that I cited NASA. But if you go back and listen, I never said anything positive about NASA. I wasn't suggesting that NASA is, you know, to be trusted in everything they're doing. I just was pointing out that they're tracking this asteroid. It's certainly true. This person thought that I was somehow buying into everything NASA tells us. That's not the case, uh, nor did I say that. But, uh, but they are tracking Apophis, as they have named it, and it has a number. I remember, don't remember what it is, but we talked about it last week. And we talked about how if, in fact, that asteroid ends up hitting the Earth, as many speculate that it will, could that, again, total speculation, we're not setting dates here, but could that be the fulfillment of the third trumpet judgment there and that asteroid that's going to hit the earth and destroy one-third of the water? Uh, so anyway, we left off here with the fifth trumpet judgment. Remember, the final three trumpet judgments are getting so bad that the Bible calls them woes. So the fifth trumpet judgment is the first woe. Then the sixth trumpet judgment is the second woe. And then the seventh trumpet judgment is the third woe, and it announces seven more judgments that will prepare the way for the Battle of Armageddon. And we'll get to that uh, next week. But uh, let's pick it up here in chapter 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, we did talk about this a little bit, but I wanted to go back. I promised we'd go back and look a little more closely at the biblical texts relating specifically to that Genesis 6 account. But we know that this star in this case uh, refers uh, to uh, Satan. He's referred to as a him. Um, and it says, he opened the bottomless pit. And uh, Satan was cast out of heaven at the beginning of the second half of the tribulation. We read about that in one of those interludes in Revelation chapter 12. And from that point on, in the, in the waning three and a half years of this battle, uh, until Christ comes back and establishes his long-awaited kingdom, Satan is banished and has no access to heaven. We know biblically that in the present age, Satan does have access to heaven. Uh, we know he had access to heaven in prior ages. Remember, he went to heaven and talked to God about Job, if you remember that story. So Satan, obviously, is a demon. He's a spirit being. He's not, not constrained uh, you know, to the earth, but at the midpoint of the tribulation, he will be. And uh, so then all of his focus and attention is on taking control of this earth, which he's been trying to do since he got kicked out of heaven 6,000 years ago. And so uh, he noticed he was given the key to the bottomless pit, and we talked about how that's the word abusos. It's where we get the word abyss. Some English translations actually translate it the abyss. And the abyss is the home of some demons who've been banished to there and are imprisoned to there until they are let loose also here at this point in the latter half of the tribulation to wage uh, war. And so let's read the rest of these verses and then we'll go back and look at that chart that we talked about last week on uh, angels. Uh, he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. Uh, so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke uh, of the pit. And uh, then out of the smoke, locusts came uh, upon the earth. We talked about how that's clearly a reference to demons because we know, comparing Scripture with Scripture, that the abyss is 
the location of demons. That's where that's who lives there. So there, that's in the spirit realm. This is not biological beings like locusts. This is spirit beings. Um, uh, that's why it's so important to be able to compare scripture with scripture. And Wednesday nights we're talking about. Uh, how to read and understand the Bible, and one of the things we're going to get to are some rules of interpretation. I have 24 basic rules of interpretation that uh, are true for any language, not just uh, the biblical languages. But to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded, notice the, com the figure of speech there, as, so these uh, locusts were compared to scorpions, they were commanded not to harm the grass or the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So we went back and we did a quick uh, angelology, if you will, a quick overview of the biblical teaching on angels. And we said uh, angels, of course, are created beings. They're not the same thing as human beings. They're, they also are set in number, unlike human beings, the highest, create, highest pinnacle of creation we are made in the image of God and we can procreate uh, because the image of God the, in man, the imago Dei, uh, all of our attributes correlate to God's attributes. They're not the same, for example, in the sense that, uh, you know, God is uh, the creator out of nothing. He created the universe. We are creative beings, right? And God is uh, all-knowing. Well, we have wisdom and knowledge and uh, so forth. We are sentient beings and, the, and there's a whole... Uh, uh, correlation there, but that's not to say we are God, obviously, but we are the highest pinnacle of creation, the crown jewel, the only one to whom God said that we are made in his image. Angels are not like that. They are spirit beings, but nevertheless, there is a limited uh, static number uh, of angels. But we know that some of those angels fell with Satan, and uh, these angels are now what the Bible calls demons. And the unfallen angels are the good guys, what we call angels, just in general. Uh, the fallen angels are what we call demons, or the bad guys. And we also know that one-third of the angels fell. That means that two-thirds uh, are still the good guys. So there are this legion of angels uh, that outnumber demons, Satan's demons, two to one. And then uh, among the fallen angels, again, as we read the biblical narrative and we see how things played out. We know that some of them are loose and active. And they're what the Bible talks about in Ephesians 6 when Paul tells us we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and so forth. So uh, that is the category that we most often think of because that's who we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. Remember the Luciferian conspiracy. It is a conspiracy involving Satan and two sets of co-conspirators, his demons and human agents that are working with him to overthrow God and take over the world. And so we don't always see them. We don't always know to what extent they are influencing the world. But you better believe there is a cosmic struggle going on in the heavens. And uh, we talked about a lot of that during the Spirit of the Antichrist series uh, that we did last fall. And then, But some of these demons are imprisoned. They, they are imprisoned. If you remember uh, back in, let's see if I have this verse, uh, Luke 8. If you remember uh, with the uh, uh, Gadarenes and the two demon-possessed men, and, and uh, Jesus is confronting him, and he asked the demons, what is your name? He said, Legion, 
because many demons had entered him. And notice they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. They did not want to be put in prison. They absolutely love their freedom and love being able to wreak havoc on unbelievers and believers uh, alike. And so, um, so some demons are temporarily confined in the abyss, and it is these demons that we're dealing with here in this uh, trumpet judgment that will be released at, at long last, ready to join uh, the battle. Um, so, but what we know from Scripture is that among those that are imprisoned, as I said, some of them are temporarily imprisoned, and as we just read in Revelation 9, they'll be released to be able to do battle. There's another class of demons that is permanently imprisoned, and they will not come out of prison until they go straight to the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels, his demons, Jesus said. Uh, and these are the ones that are confined in uh, Tartarus. So let's look at a couple of passages here uh, that I think relate to this notion. Uh, uh, first of all, we get the word Tartarus from here in 2 Peter chapter 2. And I just uh, spoke on 2 Peter chapter 2 in uh, Duluth, Minnesota as part of the Duluth Pastors Conference. And uh, that uh, video is still posted at the Not By Works website and uh, the Not By Works uh, uh, video channel. What's my video channel? Not Vimeo, but anyway, Rumble. Sorry, I had a, drew a blank there. Rumble, Not By Works uh, on Rumble. Um, so if you want the whole context of the first 17 verses of chapter 2, which is what I talked about, you can go back and look at it. But notice what he's doing here in 2 Peter 2. He's talking about judging the unbelieving false prophets in Peter's day. And he compares several examples of God's judgment in the past, historically, to just show that God is serious about judgment. And one of the comparisons that he makes is these angels who sinned. And he said, if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, this is the New King James, uh, the phrase cast down to hell is one word in Greek. It's the verb tartarao, and it means to cast into Tartarus. And some modern English translations actually use the word. It's the only reference to Tartarus in the New Testament. <clears throat> but notice they are to be reserved for judgment. It's a holding tank. Right? It's like being on death row. Okay? Except in America, you know, you can be on death row forever and have appeal after appeal after appeal, but God's justice is perfect. By the way, also in America, you can be on death row and not be guilty. That's, been, that's happened many, many times, and that's been demonstrated through a number of uh, real-life cases and documentaries. But God's justice is perfect, and these demons are in Tartarus awaiting uh, the final judgment. Uh, now, undoubtedly, Jude, the parallel passage in Jude, and Jude and 2 Peter have a lot of parallels, is dealing with the same situation in verse 6. The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. So Tartarus is this place where these demons are permanently Confined. And if you go back and look at the incident that Peter and Jude are talking about, it's found in Genesis 6, when uh, early on, and uh, remember we're dealing at roughly 2400 B.C., when this all kind of unfolded, if you will, um, already Satan, who had confronted Adam and Eve in the garden, brought death into the world, or they brought death into the world through their sin, 
and Satan was a murderer and a liar from the very beginning and trying to desperately to take over this world. And so part of that conspiracy, as I said, with his co-conspirators, the demons, was to try to uh, pollute the gene pool and to create life. The one frontier that Satan has yet to conquer, though the Luciferians are desperately working at it with transhumanism, is life. You know, he's conquered language, he's, he's, he's implemented eugenics programs and killing, murdering babies uh, in the womb and murdering uh, uh, people at will. Uh, we've seen him conquer language, we've seen him conquer gender, with the transgender movement. We've seen him conquer marriage with marginalizing marriage and destroying marriages. <clears throat> but the one realm that Satan has not been able to mimic is creation. <clears throat> you know, he cannot, he did not speak the world into ex existence the way the eternal Godhead did. And so he wanted to basically pollute God's creation. So these demons left their proper domain again as we read in Jude 6, cohabited with women, human women, and created a race that Genesis 6 calls the Nephilim, a hybrid race. Now, I know that from our human perspective, that sounds hard to get our hands around. And I can remember 30 years ago, when I first went to seminary the first time, uh, having been raised on the Schofield Reference Bible, uh, not believing that that's what that was talking about. And uh, so I had to do a Hebrew exegetical paper on sons of God and some of the other uh, con contextual things about that passage. And it became unambiguously and undebatably clear that that's exactly what happens. Sometimes the Bible says what it means. <laughs> and uh, in fact, all the time the Bible says what it means. When the quill hit the sheepskin, God communicated something. And whether we understand it perfectly or like it or whether it makes sense from our human perspective, uh, we must accept it. And remember Romans 11, Paul says, you know, we cannot, we cannot question his judgments. Uh, his mind is beyond our way of comprehension. So there's no doubt that that's what was going on there. In fact, that is what caused God to bring the flood. He was so angry that they had crossed this line that he judged the world in perfect righteousness and only the eight righteous of Noah's family made it on the ark. Uh, but without getting too much down into the weeds, because I've talked about this elsewhere, I want to make sure you know that in Genesis 6-4, the Bible is very clear that the Nephilim continued to exist after the flood. The Bible says there were in those days and also afterwards Nephilim. So you say, well, man, how in the world can Nephilim survive the flood? I thought everybody was destroyed. Yeah, every human being was destroyed. Nephilim are not humans. They're hybrids. They're spirit beings. They can shapeshift and skinwalk and take on different forms. And they have been now for the last 4,000 years, a little less than that, uh, working again with regular demons involved in this conspiracy to take over the world. From our perspectives in the spiritual battle, it really doesn't make much difference whether we're dealing with a hybrid or a full-blown demon. They're both agents of Satan to do us harm and to try, to try to take over the world. But we need to understand that the biblical record is clear uh, that those uh, still exist today. And I believe as we get closer and closer to the end times, remember we're living in the last days, the Bible says, the end times begin with the rapture and everything begins to unfold just as we're talking about here in Revelation. Um, that hasn't happened yet. But as we get closer and closer to that, I think we're going to see more and more manifestations in the spirit realm of phenomenalistic types of things happening. 
And uh, if you've not watched uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, that 18-part set, we have one of those 18 videos is dedicated to phenomena and the rise in phenomena. And uh, we talk about manifestations in the spirit world that have increased, particularly since 1947. Uh, so we actually have a couple of videos that deal with that. So this is what we're talking about here, again, going back to the chart. Uh, you see Revelation 9 referenced there under temporarily imprisoned in the abyss. At this point, nearing the end of the seven-year tribulation, these demons are going to be released to join the battle, but the ones that are in Tartarus are there uh, permanently. By the way, the apocryphal book Enoch, which is not inspired, it's, it's just a historical book, it has some things that are accurate, some things that are not, but it is intriguing to me that it tells us that we actually have another archangel named Uriel. Uh, remember, Michael's the only archangel that we know of in Scripture and may very well be the only one. That's my in inclination. But uh, the book of Enoch refers to this angel called Uriel who is standing watch as kind of the guard in the same way that God uh, set angels to guard the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve were kicked out. He's got angels and angel, at least according to this uh, apocryphal book, standing watch over our Tartarus. And Uriel, uh, it says in, in the book of Enoch, chapter 19, verse 1, Here, Uriel said to me, Here the angels who are mingling with the women shall stand. So, you know, at least early on, and again, it's not inspired, infallible word of God on par with Scripture, but at least it shows us that very early on in church history, they understood the Genesis 6 account the way it should be understood and the way anybody who reads it in its plain normal language would understand it. So this is not a recent, uh, particularly recent uh, view. So, um, by the way, this should uh, lead us to a chorus of hallelujahs at the end of uh, the uh, book of Revelation, we read, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, because Satan, remember, he too himself, after the battle of Armageddon, at Christ's second coming, is going to be imprisoned in the abyss. All right, so it, during the tribulation, there, the, angel, the demons that have been there are let loose to join the battle, uh, the battle isn't much of a battle. It's, it's just, you know, a disastrous victory and just defeat for... It's kind of like a Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl victory over the Buffalo Bills. I mean, it was just like, just stunning. With a word, Christ defeats them. And all Satan and his demons are cast into the bottomless pit, the abyss, where they're imprisoned for a thousand years. And uh, it doesn't mean that uh, Satan won't still have some modicum of influence during that thousand years but when christ is ruling on the throne during the millennium it'll be unprecedented peace righteousness and justice there will be no uh, inequities and unfairness there will be no accidental deaths or tragedies everything will be uh, uh, in in the sense uh, just just because he's ruling with a rod of iron but eventually there will be unbelievers born and like all human beings born, Ephesians 2, 1, they'll be born dead in their trespasses and sins, and they'll have to be saved. Some will get saved by believing the gospel. Some won't. Those who don't uh, will uh, commit sins and, and do evil, even in this most idyllic of uh, times. And so it just shows that Jeremiah was right, that the heart of man is desperately wicked, right? So even when Satan and his demons are largely held in check and not running around 
wreaking havoc in the world as they are today. Remember, the Bible says the whole world today is under the sway of the wicked one. Satan is the god of this age and the prince of the power of the air. That won't be true when Christ is sitting on the throne, and yet we'll still have uh, unbelievers committing sins. But at the end of this uh, thousand years, uh, we read, He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, or when Christ comes back, rather, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while because we read there's one final battle to end time when time shall be no more, after which when time shall be no more, when Satan is loosed. And then, I don't think I have those on here. I should have put them on here. But if you flip to Revelation chapter 20, and this is the hallelujah moment. I mean, this is somewhat of a hallelujah moment. It's like, good, he gets what's coming to him, and he's cast into prison. But he's still not tormented day and night forever and ever. But we read in chapter 20, verse 7 of Revelation, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Remember, even though the population on earth at the start of the millennium will be drastically reduced because only believers will be at the, in the millennium to begin with, and at that only those who survived in their physical bodies till the end of the tribulation. That's why Jesus told the future nation of Israel, the ones who endure to the end will be delivered into the kingdom, Matthew 24, 13, I think. So, so not only that, but there's been all kinds of devastation and destruction. So uh, as Jesus talked about in the parable of the parables of the kingdom with the parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom's going to start small, but after a thousand years, just imagine uh, how large it'll be. I mean, you think about the population today on earth, what, almost 8 billion people? And then you go back a thousand years and look at the population. It was just a fraction of that. So a thousand years, a lot can happen. There can be a lot of population growth, especially when there's no accidental death and tragedies and injustices and those kinds of things. So that's why he's talking about their numbers of the sand of the sea. By the way, this battle is not the same battle that's described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, that Gog and Magog is a geographic reference, and, and it, it's not always referring to the same battle. But we know sequentially that there are two different battles separated by at least 1,007 years. But anyway, so Satan is released. They went up... Uh, verse 9, on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast this time into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Now who are the beast and the false prophet, remember? Somebody tell me. The Antichrist and the false prophet. Yeah, the, the kind of the, you know. I like to call it the president and the vice president. Just you know, make whatever analogies you want. But it's like the you know the, the, the you know Superman and or I guess Batman and Robin or the the, the, the leader and his sidekick or second in command is the idea. President but, and vice president. <laughs> president and vice president. Okay. Evil and yeah, yeah. There you go. Evil and mini me. So, but notice verse ten: the devil is cast into this eternal lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are, present tense. Now, when were they cast into the lake of fire? When? After the battle. Which battle? Armageddon. Armageddon. 
Yeah, at the second coming after the Battle of Armageddon. Exactly right, Susie. So when was that? A thousand years earlier. They're still there being tormented day and night forever. You know why? Because the Greek word forever means forever. <laughs> there is no such teaching in the Bible as annihilationism. Uh, I pointed this out in my uh, message on Second Peter up in Duluth that when uh, Peter says these unbelieving false prophets die and go to hell, they will be in the blackness of darkness forever. So there's no such thing as ceasing to exist. The punishment for not receiving the free gift of eternal life already paid for by the blood of Christ on your behalf is eternal torment in a literal place called hell. And so the, the devil is cast there and notice the end of verse 10, they will be tormented day and night forever uh, and ever. So you need to understand, it's helpful to understand, the different uh, aspects of the biblical doctrine of angels and demons. And so we're dealing in Revelation chapter 9 with this notion of the abyss where uh, some demons are currently imprisoned there. We know that some demons told Jesus they don't want to go there. <laughs> don't, don't put us in prison. You know, don't put us in time out. In other words, we want to still have our freedom. We also know that some demons, specifically the ones who left their proper domain in Genesis 6, have been permanently imprisoned since then in uh, Tartarus. Uh, they won't be released until this moment we just read about when they're cast into uh, the eternal lake of fire. Uh, Jude 6 says, reserved for the judgment of the great day, the final day. Uh, but the other demons will be released for a period of time uh, here as we just read about in uh, Revelation uh, chapter 9 verses 1 through 4. Actually it goes on few more verses which we'll look at in a second. And they're released specifically to uh, help uh, Satan in his battle as we lead up to this final showdown in the uh, plains of Megiddo that the Bible calls the Battle of Armageddon. All right, any questions about that? I know I threw a lot at you, but let's just take a breath here before we pick up with uh, this judgment uh, of this uh, trumpet uh, judgment that we've been talking about here, the, the fifth trumpet judgment. Any questions about any of this? Yes, Gary. Considering the way you describe the Nephilim, could the Antichrist be Nephilim? No, the, the question is, could the Antichrist be Nephilim? No, because he is, we know from the biblical prophecy, a human being. He's a described all over the place in the Old Testament. Daniel, we see him uh, just talked about, uh, if you remember back at the beginning, we looked at several names for the Antichrist, man of sin, son of perdition, uh, man of sin, for example, man. So we know he's a human being. And uh, he's one of only two human beings, according to the biblical record, whom Satan, the prince of demons, will indwell himself. And I know I've talked about this before, but we are picking up new uh, people all the time. So let me just clarify, we know according to the biblical record that uh, Satan indwelt Judas, and I believe according to 2 Thess 2, Satan's going to indwell the Antichrist, and so what you see, if I'm right about the second one of those, is that uh, at both his first advent, in conjunction with that first advent, Satan said, I'm not going to delegate this to my legion of demons. He, he's put on human flesh. He's come to my backyard. He's come to my domain. Remember, the whole world is under, the sway of, is under his sway. 
so I'm not going to leave anything to chance. I'm not going to delegate this. Um, he's made himself vulnerable, so I'm going to get him. And so I believe he did. And he thought he'd won. By using Judas to betray uh, Jesus, he thought he'd won the battle. Of course, Christ defeated death, hell, and the grave when he rose three days later. But I believe similarly in the second, in the context of the second advent, as Satan sees all these prophetic events unfolding, and remember, he knows the Bible better than we do. He just doesn't believe it's true. Uh, and he's going to say, once again, I know this Christ is coming back, and he's going to come back to my territory in bodily form. Remember what Acts 1 says, the same Jesus who so went will come in like manner. So he's going to come back and take the throne. And so I believe Satan, once again, in his quest to defeat God once and for all, will not delegate that. He will indwell the Antichrist. So it's really Satan ruling through the Antichrist. But no, I don't think the Antichrist could be a Nephilim just because the prophecies referred to him as a man. So any other questions? Yes. Will Christians in the millennium be able to like actually see Satan in the bottomless pit? Like, because in Isaiah it says people will look at him narrowly and mm. say, "Is this the man who weakened the nations and such?" You know. Yeah. So uh, the question is about the prophecy of Isaiah. Will people be able to see Satan? Um, I believe that in, at the final judgment they will. I don't know about. Uh, in the abyss if they'll be able to see him that's a good question um, and by the way <clears throat> you, you use the term Christian so um, just a quick little lesson on terminology here uh, Christian is a unique term to refer to church age believers remember Acts uh, where is it 15 11 anyway it's in the book of Acts it says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch um, and Christian means Christ-like. It refers to us being uh, baptized into the body of Christ and our identity being in Christ. That's a unique blessing of the church age. Uh, when the Bible refers to believers of all ages, it refers to them as saints. Now, in English, evangelical or even Catholic dogma, we sometimes uh, misunderstand what saint means, right? But the biblical meaning of saint just means a believer, so the generic term that we use of believers outside of this present age is just believers, like Abraham believed God and was justified, declared righteous, or saints is a biblical term. So in the tribulation, there will no doubt, as we've talked about, be many, many people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language that believe the gospel and are saved, but they won't be called Christians anymore. They'll be called believers. Uh, Christian is a unique term just for present church age uh, saints. Um, same thing in the millennium. Many unbelievers that are born into the millennium and eventually uh, get saved will do so by believing the gospel, and, uh, and they'll be believers, but not Christians per se. Any other questions? So we didn't get to the next uh, trumpet judgment, but let me at least close out this uh, fifth trumpet judgment so we can pick up with number six next time. So it goes on to say in verse 5 of chapter 9, they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. So again, you're seeing the clear figure of speech that these are demons, not scorpions, because they're like scorpions. In those days, men will seek death, 
and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. So the demonic control over people in this period of time was such that the victims really wanted to die to remove the misery, but they weren't able to. They couldn't even take their own lives. Um, and unlike some of the other judgments that seem to be instantaneous, say like uh, Wormwood and others, this one gives us a timetable that it's going to last for five months. Uh, for five months. And then he goes on and describes, and I just highlighted the number of times that the figure of speech like is used. So it's a simile, a comparison using like or as. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowned something like gold. I mean, you just, you get the, the sense that John is, is trying to describe something that really defies description. Uh, all, their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. Their sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, and with many horses running into battle. So if you can just picture, again, with all these cosmic things going on in this battle, when the spirit realm is intersecting with the physical realm in these final uh, days of the tribulation, uh, just imagine, of course, we, again, we won't be there according to Scripture, We'll be enjoying the marriage of the Lamb and the Bema judgment in, heaven, in the heavenlies. But on earth, just imagine what it will be like for those to see these demons coming out of the bottomless pit, hearing these sounds, and then seeing them attack uh, unbelievers and the, the pain and devastation that that will be. And again, as I said, these demons have been confined since 2348 B.C., to be exact. And they were fierce. They were angry, you know. It's like if you've ever trapped a raccoon. We trapped a raccoon once out on our property. And man, you know, the scariest part was finding a way to let it go without it lunging at you, you know. So you put it, you take it way out into the woods and then you get this long stick and you try to poke that door open and that thing just comes out a hissing and a hollering and a hooting and they're not happy. Why? Because they're not made to be confined. Um, and so then we read on, they had, head, they had tails like scorpions and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, destruction. And in Greek, Apollyon, which is destroyer, talking about Satan. Again, remember Satan here is an angel, a fallen angel. He's the prince of all of the demons. And then we see, one woe is past. Behold, still more woes are coming after these things. Remember, this fifth trumpet judgment is the first woe. And it's getting worse and worse and worse, as indicated by the amount of detail we, we see about this fifth trumpet. The other trumpet judgments were just one verse or two verses. This one, you know, we had 12 verses describing what is uh, going on. And so uh, we'll pick up then with... Uh, with the, the second woe, uh, or the sixth trumpet judgment, next week. Any qu final questions or comments? Is yes. Five months really five months? Yes. Oh, yeah. All the numbers in Revelation are literal. There's no unless unless there's an indication in the text to take something figurative. You don't get to just randomly take it figurative, right? Uh, so that's one of the rules of interpretation. Figures of speech are prevalent throughout the Bible, just like they are in any language. But unless it's in, there's some internal clue to take it figurative, 
You must take it literal. Yeah. So if the Nephilim were born <coughs> of a woman, I imagine they actually were birthed yeah. in a human fashion. How is it that they can, I mean, I guess it's sort of like Christ's resurrected body. They have the ability to, uh, you said, like take on skin, different skin. Sure, yeah. How does, um, do they have kind of like their normal status, do you think, where they look <coughs> like who they were born as and then they kind of go back and forth? So the question is about the nature of the Nephilim as a hybrid being. I don't really know. We don't, all we can do is speculate based on the biblical record, but we do know that throughout 6,000 years of human history, there have been no shortage of uh, manifestations of angelic beings. Remember, even good angels, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 13, beware to entertain strangers because you might be entertaining an angel and not even know it. Right, and we know that the bad angels, uh, uh, or, or you know, we know that again in, in Lot's day, those angelic visitors took on clearly human form, so much so that the homosexual men in Sodom wanted to have them. Well, they wouldn't want to have them, you wouldn't think, if they didn't have that physical appearance. So, we know that demonic and angelic beings can shape shift, they can take on human form. Um, I believe that's what's going on with a lot of this phenomenalistic stuff that uh, there's no question is happening. The only question is, well, how do you interpret it? A lot of Christians just dismiss all this stuff. Oh, that can't possibly be. Well, let's let's deal with the facts and say, okay, yeah, when you've got, you know, a couple of hundred years of eyewitness testimony in the millions of examples of Bigfoot, I mean, this isn't some grand conspiracy that a couple of backwoods hicks in West Virginia made up. I mean, their Bigfoot is real. The question is, what is it? That's the question. And so we know that this is and this is demonic manifestations. We see biblical records of this and accounts of this. Um, so I can't explain it all, but I'm not going to just dismiss it because it sounds crazy or I could don't understand it. I'm going to say, let's you know. I think some of it's made up. Obviously, there's always opportunists who add on. And but you know, this is same thing with UFOs, like I talked about in my video, UFOs, UAPs, and the U.S. government. So, yeah, I don't know, I, but somehow they, being spirit beings, they were able to uh, do different things than a human being uh, can do. Yeah? Can a Nephilim procreate? No. Well, I mean, the Nephilim can, yes, but the angels that left their proper domain right. are no longer in the business of procreating. Right. But the creature that was born had a Yeah. Yeah, it's called the bloodlines of, of, uh, of the Nephilim, and we, we can actually trace this. We, we've, there's been a lot of books written about it, um, um, and so this is, what, this is part of what we're talking about when we talk about that top tier of the Luciferian agenda. Again, this sounds stunning to people who've never thought about it, but we know that in Old Testament ancient times, in the ancient Near East, they were talking to Satan, sacrificing children to the false gods of Moloch and otherwise. So, of course, that's still happening today. Things didn't get better with time. Depravity is a degenerative disease. So, yeah, that when we talk about the top tier, they're the ones kind of in cahoots with Satan, getting the marching orders and passing them down, down the chain. All right, well, let's uh, take a break. So, for those of you here, we'll kick back up again at 10 o'clock for our morning service. Those of you watching online, we're not going to have a live stream at 10.30 of the message like we usually do. You should see that noted on the live stream page there on your computer. Uh, but we will post the audio of our guest speaker's message later on uh, today to our uh, church uh, website. So we'll be dismissed, and those of you that are live streaming, we'll see you Wednesday night for our next live stream.